Whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. Hello and welcome to the I Could Never Do That podcast. I'm Carrie Barrett, and these are the stories of people who have gone into the arena and fought hard to achieve the unthinkable in spite of the fact that, yes, sometimes they are scared and do have some insecurities. Are you ready to go in? It's my hope that after hearing some of these interviews with thought leaders and artists, athletes, musicians, and entrepreneurs, that maybe you too will be able to go from, I could never do that, to, you know what? Maybe I can. Welcome to another episode of the I Could Never Do That podcast, where I talk with people from all walks of life who are doing those things that most of us would say, oh my lordy. I could never do that. And today's guest, let's just say today's guest gives me the full body chills. And you'll know exactly what that means here in just a few minutes. Adina O'Neill is an athlete, a coach, and founder of Team Be Real, which is a team of endurance athletes where every body is accepted. She and I met at a conference last November, and I knew immediately that I needed to sponge some of that energy that she brought to the weekend. There is just that it factor, that secret sauce that she has that most people just don't have, but she has it in spades and is willing to share it with anyone she comes in contact with. So yes, she is amazing and inspirational, but it's this personal side passion that was my own resounding, I could never do that. And that's what I wanted to explore today with Adina. So let me just lay it out there. Adina loves cold water swimming. And oh gosh, I even I even shiver thinking about it. And by cold water swimming, I mean break open a frozen lake in the middle of New England in February and start swimming. Yes, my friends, that is the cold water swimming that she embraces. And there is a such thing as a winter swim festival where Dozens, hundreds of people walk out into the middle of a frozen lake. They submerge themselves in 32-degree water without a wetsuit, and they compete against each other in different races. I would say different heats, but like that would not even be the appropriate phrase here. Yeah, they race 25s, 50s, 100s, all different strokes. It is unfreaking believable. And when I saw her start posting clips from these events that she was doing, that's when I knew I had to have her on the I Could Never Do That podcast. So I cannot wait for you to meet her. Let's get real. Let's get cold. Bundle up. Grab your tea. Let's chat with Adina O'Neill. We'll get rolling. All right. Good morning, Adina O'Neill. Hey, Carrie. Hey. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Can I, I have to fangirl for a moment because you and I met at the Feisty uh, Outspoken Summit in November. Right. And there were 60, 70 of us women there. And I bonded with so many women. I just like, as, as did you. Oh, it was a great event. It was, it was great for that. 
Yeah. It was so empowering. But when I walked away from, from you, and this rarely happens, but it was one of those moments where I instantly went, oh, she's special. Like she and I are like, we're soul sisters. And I know some of it is because of our trajectory into endurance sport and even our backgrounds a little bit. And so I look so forward to diving into all of this with you today, your background, how you switched careers in midlife with two children and some of this insanity that you're up to these days as, as both coach and athlete. And I love, first of all, that when you go to your website, which is uh, just odinaoneal.com is, is like right. your main website. In the description in Google, it calls you a triathlon and fitness motivator. Yep. Why did you choose the word motivator as opposed to coach? Um, all right, well, before I answer that question, I have to say that the feeling was definitely mutual. I mean, big energy attracts big energy. So, um, the, the definitely walked away like, all right, she's my people. Amen. Um, as, as far as the word motivator, um, that was very, uh, very particular and, uh, you know, well crafted. It was a, that word needed to be part of that. Um, because it, it kind of started out that that's what people always reflect back to me. Um, you know, I heart, when I started my fitness journey, as they like to call it, you know, I was like, wow, you're so inspirational. You're so motivational. And I never kind of knew what to do with that. In the beginning, it was so weird. I was just like, I'm just trying stuff. I'm just excited that I can do things I never thought I could do. And then I realized that that was, you know, that was kind of my thing that, I have this big energy and I get excited not only for myself, but when I can get that energy to hop on to somebody else and get them excited and motivated about what they're doing. Um, and, and little by little, I realized that, well, that was, that was kind of my, my niche. I mean, there's tons of triathlon coaches. There are tons of swim coaches and, you know, we all have great training and everyone's got kind of a thing, Um, you know, and part of my thing is I'm very positive. I'm very energetic. I'm very encouraging. And all of that translates into people feel motivated. Um, And, and that's, you know, it was kind of, it kind of came back from the the feedback of the different athletes that I've worked with um, over the years before I launched my site. And I said, you know, that really is, that's my thing. You know, it's, it's so much more than just, you're getting a training plan. Uh, Yes. Amen (laughs) to that. And, and sometimes coaches, the word coach can, be translated in many different ways. I think, you know, sometimes people can think somebody who is just like giving you these commands and you have to follow without question, or you have to just, you know, fully believe in the process. And then I also, I think coach can sometimes almost feel like you're taking emotion out of this whole process. And so I was really attracted to the fact that you use the word motivator because in the end, that's what people need more than a training plan, right. more, you know, more than, 
go run 15 miles in zone two and tell me how it felt. You know, right, right. <laughs> it's like, there's yeah. a gap of like, well, how do I do that? You know, I need to like, I need yeah. to be motivated to do, to do that. But you weren't always, and like, uh, you, a, you weren't always this motivator, this coach. No. no, you had some pretty humble beginnings. So tell me about, you know, the old Adina that yeah. we, you know, the, the previous Adina. In a prior life. Yeah, um, yeah. prior life, although it has come back and has been so, so useful in everything I do. I mean, all of our experiences add up and, and help us do whatever we're working on. But uh, I went to college for accounting when, and I remember at the time, everyone's like, you're going to be an accountant? Like, they're so dull and boring, you know? Like, <laughs> I know, I was just do. thinking that. I was like, uh, wow. There, yeah, unfortunately, there are some that have that reputation, but I know lots of accountants who have lots of energy. We just like numbers and spreadsheets and, you know, things like that. Um, so, yes, I went to college for accounting um, and uh, that actually took me on a trip over to Paris. I lived in France for a few years on an exchange program where I met my husband who's also an accountant and also not dull and boring. Um, <laughs> is he French? Is he French? No, he's from Massachusetts, Okay, <laughs> which, Wait. Is, which is how I ended up back here. He was on the same exchange program that okay. I was. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so we met over there, decided to come back um, and start our lives here. Um, and at that time, I wanted to continue working in French, um, which I did. And then when I had my kids, I got laid off from the job where I was working, just coincidentally had nothing to do with me having kids. Um, just the timing, I had two small kids, I had just gotten laid off, I hung out at home with them for a little while, um, and went back to school to get a master's in teaching, uh, because the town that we moved into has an immersion program, a French immersion program, that we moved here so our kids could benefit from that, and also have the language that brought us together, and that we love so much, um, and then over time, I said, oh, well, Maybe I'll go teach. It was always something in the back of my mind. When I was a kid, I was like, maybe someday I'll teach something. Um, never thought it would be young children um, in French, <laughs> but it was it was a perfect it was a perfect fit for me um, because I got to continue speaking French. I got to share my love for French. Um, and I got to motivate those kids to enjoy French and actually math because I taught second grade, um, which is such a formative time for kids learning math. And unfortunately, many elementary schools, uh, elementary school teachers are so reading focused and you hear so much about, oh, like math is hard, math is this. And I realized it was such a great opportunity for me to instill the love of math in those young kids. So the math kind of came along with me um, when I when I went into teaching. Um, and while I was teaching was when I started doing triathlons um, and getting into endurance sport. Yeah. Were and you did you do that as a child? Were you into sports and activities as a kid? Tell, I, me, tell me about little Adina. Little Adina dragged her entire family out to swim. I was on a swim team when I was age five. Uh, we grew up in a small town in, in Northern Jersey in a small lake community. All there was to do in the summer was go to the lake. And so I swam and swam and swam. I absolutely loved it. I convinced 
my parents to take myself and my two older brothers to winter swim team. Um, and we swam and swam. My brothers got really good um, and really fast. And unfortunately, at the time, I didn't know about endurance swimming. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> I may have found my niche a little earlier. Um, but everybody got faster. I didn't. I just wanted to, like, keep swimming. Um, and so, you know, then I went off into other sports. I played field hockey for a while. I played rugby in college because uh, I like the jerseys. Yeah. Yeah. That looks like fun. The jerseys are cool. Um, I don't know. I, I played field hockey in high school and I like the sticks. Quite I, yeah, honestly. You know, it's like, cool. You like whack the ball and, um, and, and uh, yeah, I just kept trying different things. I was in love with Zumba for years. I was a Zumba instructor for a few years. Um, and, um, yeah, and I have a brother who's been doing triathlons for well over 25 years now. And, um, uh, he, you know, watching him and eventually you got our, my children did triathlon before I did. It's like, Oh, like, look what uncle Mike does. He says, is like cool triathlons. They're like, they were like seven and eight years old when they did their first triathlon. Like, How little cool. ones kids. and, uh, and they're like, Oh, you should do one. And I said, yeah, I said, well, I don't run. Like, I'm sure I'd like the swimming fine. You know, I bet if I you know, practice, I could ride a bike. Like that made sense. But I was like, but then to run at the end of that, it was like, no way. <laughs> Isn't it funny how it's so different? The, yeah. the entry point for people into triathlon, which is also, you know, my side passion in life. The entry yeah. point is so different because I'm like, bring on the run. Yeah. I'm, I'm like you where I'm like, okay, the bike. Yes, I rode bikes as a kid. I guess I can train myself to actually yeah. like ride for a while. But I'm like, oh, the swim is like heart palpitations from the beginning and and it was the exact opposite exact yeah. opposite for you you say on your website and i would like to kind of delve into this because again this is where our lives do parallel a little bit and i think it's an important point to touch on which is you were the epitome of you know you can't out train a bad diet and mm -hmm. and so you tell the story very briefly on your website that when you were training for your first marathon, you gained 15 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. So talk sure about did. that a little bit. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. If uh, you don't mind. If you oh, don't mind. no, I, I don't mind at all. Um, yeah. So, you know, I had gone through this journey where I was like doing all these great sports and finding out all these things. I was like, you know, one thing after the other, it's like, let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this. Um, and eventually I gave in. I was like, all right, I think I'm going to run a marathon. And of course I ran the Paris marathon. Oh, so um, great. Because, That's so great. You know, I went back to, to my roots. Um, and you know, I, I followed a training program. I got injured. So hired my first run coach, um, because, you know, training programs are great until you can't follow it the way it's written for whatever reason. Um, and, um, you know, so I had a run coach, I had a run program and there was not, I didn't have a lot of good information about nutrition for marathon training. Um, in hindsight, you know, it's, I knew how to eat and I was fine and then I always had enough fuel during my workout. So that was something that I learned um, throughout the process. Um, but, you know, no one really explained to me or 
maybe they did and I didn't listen. I mean, there's a lot <laughs> coming in and out of your head when you're training for a marathon. Yes. Um, yes. So maybe it, maybe it was said to me and I didn't really digest it properly. Um, but I, I don't remember, you know, hearing or learning about just kind of the, the cumulative effect of how, how how much fuel you need, not only during your training runs, but before and after, mm-hmm. and maybe like the next day or the day after. Um, you know, and growing up in this world of diet culture, um, you ah. so bombarded with, you know, oh, well, you know, watch what you're eating and don't overeat and, you know, follow these, you know, kind of rules and guidelines and things like that. And so on, I think I'm in hindsight, like on the days that I trained, I was very focused on fueling those workouts and never understood the fact that, you know, like the day after you are going to be hungry (laughs) and it's okay to be hungry. And if you're that hungry the day after eat, because if you don't eat and you continue to just follow your schedule, then what happens is you binge. And usually on stuff that, you know, like if you're really hungry and you have like a ginormous lunch, that's great. And if you have a regular quote unquote or traditional size lunch, whatever you want to call it, then when you're hungry later, you're going to snack on who knows what. Yep. So yep. you're uh, going to reach for those like super starchy carbs. You're going to reach for like the things that your body craves when it's in that, when it's in that like famine yeah, state yeah. are traditionally not the things that are great for recovery or for right. fueling. Yeah. You know? Right. Or just, or just, you know, you're, you're so hungry that you eat so fast or so much that you eat too much. Um, and I fortunately, unfortunately have kind of a stomach of steel, which is great for endurance training because I can eat anything. Like I've never had an issue that I couldn't eat something. It made me sick during training, which is huge because there are a lot of people who struggle with getting the proper nutrition and finding what works for them um, for those long uh, endurance events. But on the flip side, I can eat anything I want and I'm never going to get sick from it. You know, so like if, you know, the, the, it's like, wow, Oreos. Okay, let's have 12. Yeah. Okay. And like my stomach didn't hurt. So, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, there's, and of course my, my focus was more on the, the run training, having an injury didn't help. Um, but, you know, really just there were, there was not a lot of attention to, um, to how the nutrition works outside of the run itself. Yeah, that's, that is so true. And I do think some of that has changed, although not much, you know, and there are still mixed messages out there where you will hear people say, gosh, eat, 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 uh, without a lot of direction on what that should look like. And then there are still people that are saying, well, you can't out train a bad diet. So like watch what you eat. And so it's just, it's still, I can't say that it's less confusing, but I can say that I agree with you in that there's a lot more information out there now. It's just parsing out what's good information and what's bad information. And that's why I love, you know, people like you that are actually out there telling your story and telling the truth and, and really being open and honest about what 
what worked for you. And so how did you write that ship? I mean, it, like once you, you accomplish this goal of running a marathon, but you're like, well, what did I actually accomplish here? <laughs> well, you know, I like that you use the term ship because, you know, it's always changing directions. Um, and, you know, after, after the, the marathon, you know, one thing that I incorporated that was a huge help was strength training. Um, and that is something that I, highlight and encourage and beat to death on you know my social media with all my athletes like and and of course thanks to you know feisty media and stacy sims with all the lift heavy shit because you know finally it, you know, people are starting to say okay that's a thing um and um so that was that was a big part um incorporating strength training into into my workout plan um and and just kind of understanding you know kind of balance of aiming for a balance of nutrients and um you know carbs are not the enemy right. um right. but you know you can't only eat carbs and just kind of getting a, a refresher on you know what a what a kind of healthier plate looks like um unfortunately for me the 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 ship kind of took a, a crazy turn because uh i was very intent on those uh, you know, those guidelines and, uh, you know, kind of fitting in, oh, well, what should I eat every day that I lost complete sight of my own hunger? Um, I, I, I really like lost sight of what it meant to be hungry and what it meant to be full because I was always following this kind of plan. Mm. And although mm. the plan was not super it was not restrictive um to the to the extent that you know i would still have an occasional ice cream or cookie like i didn't I, you know i would eat carbs you know it wasn't you know something super restrictive like you know like a intermittent fasting or a keto where you're like just right. you know, hours right. of eating or whole food groups um it it, it it's a it it really was a, a good you know lifestyle just a balanced eating but it, I just took it to the extent that it, it made it so intense and I'm like, oh, I gotta follow this, gotta do this, gotta do this. And, and I got to a point where I just still kind of cracked, you know, I mean, three, you know, so uh, 2018, after I did my Ironman, I, and started to have perimenopausal symptoms. So there's all that. Yeah, there's all of that. Happening. And, uh, you know, and, and my biggest symptom was just like emotional swings. Um, and I was an emotional leader. And so, you know, some of those things that that I knew to be true, that I knew work kind of went out the window. And I focused on my mental health more than, you know, let's make sure that I keep these, you know, portions kind of in control. Um, and I gained a lot of weight back um, because I was not I, I was not following that same kind of plan. Um, and, you know, but it's it, it's it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing to be like in the prime of prime shape of your life. You you now started this business where you're like a coach and fitness motivator and you're putting all this weight back on and it, it takes a toll on you in, in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, and the best thing I can do is just try to work through it as best I can share my story and just like, I'm a real person. Like mm -hmm. I'm not perfect. Um, I make mistakes. I 
still know what is best, but I really had to heal my own understanding of the whole process. Um, and, you know, do what I can to keep going. And well, you, you have obviously, because yeah. now we're what almost five years on from that, from yeah. that Ironman, um, a couple of things I was jotting two words down so that I didn't forget them as you were talking. And the first was when you were talking about this nutrition plan that you were following that was, you know, quote unquote, well-balanced, but it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, that you lost your intuition yeah. for, for hunger. So you were just following this, this plan. And although it wasn't rigid in the fact that it was restrictive calorically or macronutrition, mm -hmm. nutrition, nutrition right. wise, but it was, you were following this plan. And so mm -hmm. if it said to eat pasta with chicken, that's what I was going to eat. Even if maybe you were craving, um, you know, a piece of salmon at yeah. seven o'clock at night, but no, it says to eat it at six. I have to yeah. eat it at six. So yeah. it, it was that the type of rigidity that you're speaking of, like where you just sort of like lost this intuition for your, your body. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the plan I was, was following was more around like, you know, portion it, and many diet plans are around portion control and making sure you have the right balance of different portions, you know? So if you ran out of your portions for the day, you should stop eating. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and I yeah. actually was really good at adjusting the plan to fit endurance training because none of those plans are made for endurance athletes. Um, so I actually, I was able to adjust it and say, okay, well, you know, this is kind of a guideline. And I always gave myself after the marathon, I always gave myself kind of almost like carte blanche when you were in the training block, you know, any of those foods that you ate while you were working out, you ate what you needed to eat. It didn't count towards any of those, you know, check boxes because that they're not, I was smart enough to know that they weren't taking that into consideration, you know, with that plan. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm a human being and, you know, my, my, I guess my downfall is like the rest of the day, I was like, all right, well, I better follow this plan, mm -hmm. uh, you know? And yeah, I mean, I tend to be a perfectionist. I think a lot of endurance athletes are, um, you know, and we're like, well, tell us the formula and we'll follow it. And that's, you know, <laughs> just tell me what, what to do. Just like, tell me what plan. Yes. Right? Yes. You know? like, oh, the, trust your coach, trust your training plan. It's like, you know, it's so many of those little mantras are so easy to fall into uh, in a good way and a bad way. Everything has a everything has a double edged sword. So mm -hmm. um, and I'm bringing that up and I can, and I'm harping on this like subject because I do think it's it is so prevalent for oh, yeah. endurance athletes across the board and humans in general. Right. I mean, oh, like, we're, you and I are coming at it from an endurance athlete and coach perspective. So I think it's important to hear it from, from you as a coach and motivator that it doesn't matter how educated you are, both scholastically and in your sport, Yeah, we could all fall into these. Um, I don't want to call it a trap because it's not really a trap. Like we can all be persuaded yeah. um, down different roads that we think in the moment are suited to us, but then can, can have consequences that we can't even see yeah. in the future. Oh, um, so I, I, yeah. And, and I'm not, there's no answer at this point, except 
finding that intuition. And that's where I really want to stress for people is like, don't lose sight of the fact that you are a smart human being, regardless of what some TikTok reel tells you or what (laughs) even a skull, even like a peer reviewed study tells you about something, you know, like, yes, you could look at that and like, oh, this worked great in 20 people. Um, but is this across the board, what's right for you and the stage of life that you're in and where you live and what your life situation happens to be? So like for me, it's always coming back to this, this intuitive state. The other thing that I wrote down when you were talking about this time in your life, this 2018, 29 time in your life is the fact that you did complete Ironman, um, Montremblant. Yes. Yeah. And I did it the year after, so I I, I know that race well. Yeah. And there is something that happens post Iron Man that flips people on their head. Yeah, and uh, and it's very real. And it's like any time that we've any of us have gone through a bigger a big event, a major life event, there is the post race blues. There is a bit of a depression that can sneak up on us, and that can make us lose sight of our. Yeah. natural state as well. Did you experience anything like that? Oh, yeah. The race? yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and it's not surprising um, because you, you put a you put a race like an Ironman on your schedule and talk about, you know, following a schedule and being intense and sticking to it. And I have to say, like, kudos to my coach, um, PJ, she at the time, you know, I, I well, the first thing I said to her, I was like, look, I will do every single thing you put on my plan. So your job is to make sure I don't do too much. Like Mm. I knew myself well enough. Like I will follow the plan exactly. Um, And she was fantastic because there, you know, at the time my uncle passed away during my training and she's like, go to the funeral. Don't care about your training for the whole weekend. You're fine. You know, and if I didn't have someone reminding me that, I probably would have been like, can I bring my bike? How can I do this? What am I going to fit in? How am I going to fit it around? And it, but it, the, the point is, it's such an intense period. You know, like for me, it was nine months, you know, like my training started January 1 or eight months. The, the race was the end of August. And, you know, it's eight months of living, sleeping, breathing, everything, Ironman training. Everything you do is with that eye on the prize. And I, I remember I was always posting, eye on the prize, eye on the prize, going for that goal. And it, it's great. Like, it is how like amazing that we can get ourselves to focus on that towards that goal and make all these in the moment decisions that get you far down the line. And then you get there and you're just like, now what do I do? Uh-oh. Yeah. yeah. Uh-oh. And for me, and, and, and at the time I was like, well, what's bigger than an Ironman? Like I had no idea. Like, and I was very sure that I was not going to try for like the double or triple Ironman. The ultras. Yeah. The, yes. The way animals, too much yeah. running. That is way too much running. <laughs> See, I'm on, I, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm oddly attracted to that because I'm yeah. like, oh, wait, I get to run a double marathon? Yeah. Sign me up. Yeah. But then so I got to do that. To like, like, yeah. So we have to get together. Maybe we'll grab Celine and the three of us can do like an ultra relay. <laughs> oh, I'm down for it. I know Ultraman is exploring some some uh, yeah. some some relay yeah, divisions. Relay. I'm so down for that. Absolutely. But, <laughs> interestingly, like the relay is is something that kind of saved me, you know, because that's I switched 
a little bit of my top, my mind frames, like, oh, well, let's do relays with other people who can't do the whole thing. Um, or I, I really had to start thinking of other ways to do other things to make me excited and find my own motivation. Because in my mind, I was like, what is bigger than an Ironman? Mm. Well, when did the coaching thing start then? <laughs> yeah, shortly after that. I never put that together, but um, I'm sure that that uh, probably subconsciously was was a factor. Um, but yeah, and I think it was it was, it was probably around that time too that you know people were saying, "Wow, you know, I want to go try that." And I said, "Okay, well, let me help you." And people started asking me questions, asking me for advice, and I was nearing my patience for being a teacher. Um, mm. Hail to all the teachers out there. It is a very, very difficult profession. Um, mm. And, you know, I was just looking for for something different to do. And, um, and so, you know, I started coaching a friend of mine. And, you know, little by little, things came together. And, um, you know, before you knew it, I was hanging out my shingle. Yeah. <laughs> and, and how old were your children at this, at, during this phase? Let's say, let's say 2017 to 2019, you know, cause that's really when the whole Iron Man. Yeah. So they're like, stuff. um, so 13, 15. I mean, these are like teenagers. pivotal ages. Oh yeah. Pivotal well, ages. And the great thing about it was, um, I started my, I left teaching started my business and got to be home to be with my kids. Um, uh, cannot underestimate or, you know, cannot highlight enough the support that I got from my husband. I mean, we are, we are our own team. Um, and, you know, it wasn't like I just said, hey, I'm leaving teaching. I'm going to go start a business. You know, um, it was, we had a lot of conversations and how's this going to work for our family? And, you know, what are we going to do? And uh, I'm real fortunate to have such a supportive husband who, you know, dragged two teenagers around Ironman Montemblant for 15 hours. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but also, to you know, he looked to me as like, you know, you have to you have to be happy and healthy in your life. Um, you know, and he understood before I did the impact that I was having on other people. Um, he's, so like kudos to him. He's the best. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I just I, I got to a point and, you know, if I'll, I'll throw in some unsolicited parenting advice, anybody can change a diaper. You know, like I sent my kids off to daycare when they were little there, you know, your like immediate needs, those basic needs anybody can meet those needs. I would not trade for a minute being available to help my kids navigate those really pivotal, pivotal puberty years, like middle school, high school. Those, those years are tough. Those years are really tough. Oh, I mean, dare I hearken back to my own at that point, which is, yeah. which is frightening. And so it was this I, I mean, now you're a motivator in all aspects of a life because now you're motivating your children to go through this this rough, rough period for so many. And you're starting to take on athletes. Were you yourself still training for stuff? I was. Yeah, at the time I was. Um, and then shortly thereafter, I had a back injury. So that was fun. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. 
Tell me about that. What happened? Was it an acute um, injury or just over, overuse, uh, just overuse injury. I was doing a lot of swimming, a lot of biking, and that's a lot of core work. Um, and, um, and just, you know, probably skimped a little bit on the activation and all those exercises that, you know, nobody likes to do. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, this one day, like, got off the bike, and I was like, oh, yeah, my back is kind of, mm, you know, just like one of those weird feelings, like, I'm good, you know, and as endurance athletes, you know, was like, all right, push through it, you're good, you can keep going, like, you can always do more than you think. Yes, yes. I woke up the next day and couldn't stand up straight, so, you know, that was, uh, that was rough. <laughs> oh, let me ask you this, were you a reluctant coach, because, and, and let me frame that up a little bit, um, you know, people might say, oh, you are, you're so funny. You should be, you should be a comedian. Or they might totally. say, oh, you're, you're so smart. You should be a math teacher. You're so motivating. You should be a coach. Well, that doesn't always mean that like you should do those things. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so sometimes we fall into things out of a little persuasion and maybe a little bit of reluctance on your part. Like, were you like, oh, I don't know if I should do this. Like, I don't, like, I'm not equipped. I'm not um, educated enough. Like, were, what were any, some of the self-doubts or thoughts that were going through your head when suddenly people are saying, oh, I want you to coach me? Was it, were that, was there hesitancy on your part? Um, in, in the beginning, I honestly don't think there was, the only hesitancy was, as you said, it's not a very stable opportunity. So to go from this, you know, even a teaching career where, you know, maybe I wasn't making as much money as I was making in, in accounting, but now we're going to, you know, you only make money if you have people to coach kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually was for a while um, doing fitness coaching with a, an MLM. So I already had some experience and some good feedback um, from people who I was coaching and helping. So, uh, and I was a teacher. So I, you know, like I kind of had that confidence. Um, and you know, one of my closest friends asked me to coach her. So that was, that was like a great entry point, you know, like you had your first person, you knew that she was not going to judge you. She was so excited. She wanted to help you. So it was a really good entry point. Um, but I did actually have a little bit more of that feeling this past summer, I um, landed three male athletes who were all doing their first 70.3. Wow. Um, and so, you know, this is, you know, fast forward to, you know, we've, we've put back some weight. I haven't done any big races for a while because of injuries and things like that. I'm like, all right, now I'm going to coach these like three guys. Um, and I have never been, uh, I've never had a problem like working with men or, triathlons with men. I, I have two older brothers, so I've yeah. always been one of the guys. I It's taken me longer to get along with women than it has to get along with men. I have to interrupt you very quickly there because that must, I did not know that about you, but that's another soul, soul sister thing because I have four older brothers yeah. and I'm the only girl and I'm the youngest. And so like you, I've just kind of been one of the guys and, yeah. and my attitude and the way I approach life really reflects that. Yeah. So I just wanted to drop that yeah. in there as well. I do have a younger sister, but she's like five years younger than I am. So when we were growing up, it was always me and my brothers. Um, so 
sometimes she 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 gets out of the story, but she was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, so what was the intimidating factor in this? You know, you like yeah. it was three gentlemen yeah. who were training up for their first seventy point three, and there might have been some uh, some reticence there. Like, yeah, what was that? So first I had never coached guys before, like all the people who I had worked with in the past had been women. Um, So you you just start getting those little sounds that you used to hear, um, you know, on, on the course, you know, there are some men, there are also some women who are jerks, um, truth be told, but, you know, just some of the, some of the voices that you hear about, you know, women coaching men or just women being athletes. Um, and it's just, you know, just, it's, it's that little bit of imposter syndrome that, that pops into your head. Um, but at the same time for me, it was like, you know, and, and two of them are like these like tall, really fit. They're like, you know, 20 years younger than I am. And I'm just like, okay, like they look like athletes. And I, in my, you know, vision no longer looked like an athlete, even though I know I am, but that, that outside perception, which always comes back and is a big reason why I even formed my team in the first place is that perception that like you show up and you don't look like an athlete or you don't look like the perception of what a 70.3 athlete should look like, or an Ironman athlete should look like. And so just in my mind, like, I, I went there like it was a really short second, you know, there there was a short amount of time. There's just like, oh, wow, like these guys are now trusting me and look, I'm not even in good shape and blah, blah, blah. And luckily, I very quickly like flipped out of it and I said, yes, but they hired me to coach them, you know, and you know, the, the first time I went to a local event with a couple of the guys, um, like, like a sprint as they were working up to their training. and it was the coolest feeling when the guy introduced me to his life. He's like, Oh, this is my coach. And he was like, so excited. Um, you know, and then it was gone, you know? Um, but it's just, you know, you always, you always have that doubt when you try something new and like that, that was part of, you know, why did you go from a sprint to an Olympic to a, you know, to an Ironman or any kind of endurance activity? Well, why do you keep trying those things? Well, to see if I can, you know, mm-hmm. and to keep working on passing through that doubt, you know, um, and, and I love like, I love how your podcast is called the I could never do that podcast, right? And that was the first thing. So oh, not triathlon, I could never do that five, run a 5k. I'm like, I could never do that. Um, and over time, I learned, you know, that it's, it's not so much I could never do that. You know, my response now when people throw crazy things at me, a bit more like, that's not on my radar. Or, <laughs> that's going to be my, that's going to be my sub show. Yeah. <laughs> my, like the secondary show is like, ah, yeah. that's, not, that's not on my radar, but you know, like you just can't say never anymore. Like, you know, I was like, oh, I'll never run a marathon. And in hindsight, like all that was, was, fear about, could I actually run a marathon? Um, mm-hmm. And I wasn't interested in running a marathon. So like, so I, I try not to say, oh, I would, I would never do that. There are some things I would never do. I will never jump out of a plane. Right. I, right. I will never jump out of a plane. I am way too afraid of falling. There is nothing that I will never jump out of a plane. Yes. <laughs> you answered my final question, which is like, what, what is there something? Uh, you say? But like, but, oh, yeah, but it's, 
but I love this distinction that you're making. And it is the, this is the thesis of this show, which is there really isn't a never scenario because like, I think we're all capable of doing so many things that the question then becomes, do you want to, to. and how bad do you want it? So when you say, well, that's just not on my radar, in essence, you're saying, I'm not interested. I don't want to do that. But for those people that do these big things in life and, and, and by big, big is a very description too, because running a marathon might not be big to somebody, but it's a big thing to somebody else. And it's like, do you want to do it? Then don't, if you, if the answer is yes, then, then you cannot say never. Right. You know? And, and so this sort of segues a little bit when we're talking about crazy things that people could never do. I follow you on social media (laughs) Oh my God. And, uh, I have to say yeah. that. And it's and sometimes even if you don't want to now, you may not do later. And that's why for me is it's it's not on your radar. Because I I did not want to run a marathon. Like I ran a lot of races. I got up to a half marathon and I had proven to myself, like this was a person I couldn't run a mile. And when I got up to a half marathon, I was like, uh, I was like, all right, I ran a half marathon. So I was like, oh, so you're gonna do a marathon? I'm like, no, I know that I could, like I had proven to my wealth, I could do all those things. You know, I was like, well, I, I probably said, yeah, I'm, I'm not running a marathon. I would never do that. Or I could never do that. But it's like, it just, it wasn't on my radar. I no longer, it was not something I wanted to. And then one day I wanted to, and guess what? I did. You did. So <laughs> you, you do have to, there's, there's that desire piece is huge. The desire piece is huge. Yes. Thank you for that. Thank you for that addition. Uh, before we segue into the crazy yes. things that I could pretty much at this point say, I could, I could never do that. Uh, and not only is it not on my radar, <laughs> I don't, I don't ever see it being on my radar, but <laughs> so you, I follow you on social media and I really implore people if you do want a daily hit of dopamine and motivation and inspiration to follow you, because even if you're just like sitting on your bike trainer, like you're so fun to listen to and you're so positive and you, you have just, just wonderful anecdotes to for life in general. Um, But from an endurance sport perspective, you love, you love endurance swimming. And that's part one. That's part yeah. one of the story. I want to explore the fact of the, your love yeah. of endurance swimming. But part two of the story is that not only do you love endurance swimming, you love cold water swimming, which yeah. is almost two of my biggest irrational fears in life, which is open water and freezing cold. And you love them in, in combination. Yeah. So, just talk me through this because I do want to go maybe from I could never to eh, maybe I could on some of this, but I I don't see the bridge yet. I just don't see the bridge. So first of all, talk to me about this open water swimming. You grew up a water baby. You said that earlier yeah. that you loved yeah. swimming as a kid. Um, how did you know that endurance swimming was your sweet spot? Um, well, I have the pandemic to thank for that um, because all the pools were closed. Uh, and I knew I loved, and at, at that time I was already doing triathlons and I liked swimming in open water. I love the ocean. I'm a Jersey shore girl from, you know, from the, from youth. Um, and they, during the pandemic, there, there were no, there were, there were no pools open. And I got connected with a 
there's a big open water swimming community here in Boston. Um, so I got connected with some people there. And, you know, the first day I went down, people were swimming, you know, uh, at this place called Pleasure Bay, which is in South Boston. And it's like a loop when you go around it's like a 2,500 yard loop okay. ish, depending on the tide. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and some people were going around for one loop, two loops, three loops. And I was like, keep going around. I'm like, that's pretty cool. You know, I was like, wow. I, I was like, wow. this is so much better than being in the pool. Uh, yeah. And, you're not staring at a black line yeah, for yeah. lap upon lap. You don't really know what you're staring at. That's the scary part about open water, but yeah. Um, you know, so there's just, and there's this one woman there named Kelly, who's an experienced marathon swimmer. And, you know, we would, you know, we would always like swim a little, take a breath and just, everybody good. All right. More swimming. And that just became like that. That set spoke to me on so many levels. Like that's all it was more swimming. Um, and so we spent, you know, I purchased a, a thermal wetsuit so I could get out in the water earlier because in April in Boston, it's cold. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was like, well, if someone else is doing it, I suppose I could do it. You know, why not? These people are, are, are doing that. And, you know, so then we swam and we swam and we swam all summer long. And, you know, as people were talking about, you know, doing a 10 K swim, I was like, that's outrageous. I mean, if you do an Ironman, you're at 2.4. So at that point for me, I said, someday I want to do a 5 K swim. But okay. 2.4 to 5K, you know, 2.4 to three miles, not a ginormous leap. So, you know, the day that I went and did my two laps around Pleasure Bay and did my 5K swim, there was a lot of chatter about everyone was doing a 10K swim. I was like, well, that's why. I'm like, now that's cool. Like, there's there's something in my mind at this point. I'm like, okay, like, it may be not be bigger than Ironman, but it was a new thing that I hadn't done. Um, and so I was not going to be ready in time to do it with them. So I organized my own 10 K it was the pandemic. Like you did whatever you did. I was like, yep. got a couple of support people trained it up. And I went out and I swam a 10 K. Um, and you know, I had some, some people to swim with me, had some friends came up from New Jersey to surprise me, which was really exciting. Um, and I was like, well, this is just cool. But, and the best part of it was that wasn't the end. You know, like you got, for me, it's like, you got to Ironman. I was like, well, what's next? I'm like 10 K. I'm like, well, what else can you do? Like, mm -hmm. and then there was, you know, you could do like a 10 K in the ocean or a 10, you know, I, the, the area that I swam was pretty protected, you know? So wow, a 10 K in the ocean would be pretty wild. And then I started hearing about these other swims that people were doing and crossing lakes. And, you know, my, my friend Kelly that summer did like a 22 mile swim or something like that. I was like, yeah, this is outrageous. I was like, you can just keep swimming all day long. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so here for this. So I just kept swimming and swimming. And uh, last year I turned 50 and I wanted to do something epic for my 50th birthday. Um, and um, I said, oh, maybe I'll do another Ironman. Like I'll find one around my birthday. It'll be cool. People can come. We can do it together. And I just, my heart wasn't in it. I was just like, nope, mm -hmm. that wasn't it. Mm -hmm. And then I heard about this 10 mile swim and I was like, 10 mile swim. Now that's wild. I was like, okay. I was like, that's something I can sink my teeth in. I was like more swimming. Yeah. Um, so and where was that? Where was that swim? This was up in Newport, Vermont at like Lake Memphis, Magog. 
Okay. We'll, we'll come back. Yeah. Yeah. We'll come back to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it's just ginormous lake and you go swim out. It's one big loop. So it's not like 10. I was like, no, I'm not doing like 10 loops of one mile. No, thanks. Uh, I was like one big loop of 10 miles. Um, yeah. And I swim all day long, literally all day long, mm. a little over eight hours. Um, Let me ask some like logistic questions on that. Uh, so I know in certain federations uh, to, to be considered, you know, an official finisher, or wh whatever, whatever the designation is, like some swims like you can't wear wetsuits others you know like I've, i have a friend who's done the triple crown of open water yep. marathon swimming so english channel uh swim around mm -hmm. manhattan and catalina yeah. and so obviously there are very very strict rules that come along with that so no wetsuits you know you can't touch your support yep. boat they have to like throw the feedings out to you yep. was it similar for this exactly. 10 mile swim okay yeah so no wetsuit a marathon swim is actually anything 10k distance or longer Okay. Is considered a marathon swim. Uh, in the Olympics, the marathon swim is a 10K. Um, and uh, to be an official marathon swim, you wear one swimsuit that has, you know, no extra heating or buoyancy, uh, one swim cap and pair of goggles. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so this was, we followed marathon swimming federation rules. So no wetsuit, one cap goggles. I had a kayaker next to me. She threw my bottle out at me every half hour said, have some nutrition. <laughs> yep, yep, um, yep. And, uh, you know, it's like, you, you don't touch the kayak. You don't touch the bottom. Well, in the middle of the big lake, there was, I was way too far from the bottom to touch okay. the bottom. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, yep. We followed the marathon swimming rules. Was, was the finish of that first 10 mile swim as exhilarating as it was when you crossed all these other finish lines that you've done to get to that uh, point? Absolutely. Uh, there was a little less fanfare. Um, I, you know, by the time I was finishing, they were already doing awards for all the other categories. Um, but uh, the, the people, luckily it was near where I was coming out of the lake. Um, but um, from, yeah. And of course, Mike Riley was not there telling me <laughs> that I was now a marathon swimmer, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, in, in, inside and and i do it for myself i mean i get the same feeling uh, you know the first 10k swim i was there all by myself and i still had that same feeling because i do it for me i yeah the fanfare is fun the big events are fun but i can you know i could set whatever goal i set i set it for myself and my accomplishment is the biggest reward that i can get um and and i didn't want to get out of the lake i i I did not want to get out of the lake. I was just like, I was so happy that I made it and I just didn't want it to be over. Oh, that's so amazing. Yeah. That is so amazing. That is part of why you are called the fitness motivator is <laughs> that you found something that is you like that is that this sport is inherently you <laughs> and, it, and it fits all the pieces. So how cold was the lake for the 10 miler? 73. Fahrenheit. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. 73 Fahrenheit. So, you know, damn near warm Too almost yeah. too warm yeah. for, almost, for being in the water. A little too warm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for, some for... people found it too warm, but there were some people who came, there were people who did wear wetsuits. They do allow people to wear wetsuits. Um, if that's what they prefer. I mean, 
the, the thing about open water swimmers is we're not judgy. Like the like open water swimmers are the least judgy, probably because we're all walking around in bathing suits our whole life. Right. Um, but, right. You know, I've, I'm not a, I'm not as small as I used to be, but I never, I, I don't care. Like it's, I don't, I don't feel like I've, someone has ever judged me showing up to a swim that I don't look like a swimmer. Mm. That's, I've, I've never had that feeling at an open water event. Yeah. Well, and I know for people, for athletes who are marathon swimmers and they are under the, the federation rules, you have to put on weight yeah. for some of these swims. Like it is mandatory to keep your body warm. And so, yeah, yeah almost the more insulation you have, absolutely. Like, right. like I would like my girlfriend, Katie had to put on, I don't know, I, my, my memory's a bit foggy, but maybe 60, 70 pounds for wow. her, for her swim. And like, all the more tough for that. I mean, yeah. so yeah, she's like, I will always look up to, to, to that now. So, okay. So you finished this 10 mile swim and now the fire's lit. Now the fire's lit. Like you, you are into the swimming. So the next thing I sort of see you do is this, like your train. Now I'm starting to see you do these like crazy cold plunges in your bathing suit through yeah. the winter. And like, this is now, as I got to know you and I, my timeline is I met you last November of 2022. So I start following you on social media. So all through this previous winter, <laughs> I'm just seeing this insanity of like you just jumping into these freezing cold lakes and swimming for even just minutes, you yeah. know, like yeah. minutes at a time. So you're not out there doing 10 miles, no, no, uh, you know, for in these freezing cold waters, but there's some acclimation that's taking place. What was that all about? So the, the, the intent of doing that actually started to prepare for the 10 mile swim because I knew I was going to have some really long training swims and I knew I did not want to do them in the pool. So I figured the more I could swim outside in the open water and get acclimated to the cold quicker, the sooner I'd be able to do my long swims out in the open water as opposed to the pool. So the winter before the 10 mile swim, so this would be 2021 into 2022, I ditched my wetsuit and started swimming just with like gloves and booties and a neoprene cap. So I still had some protection to the to my extremities, but the, the, the goal, again, that goal in mind, the goal was the 10 mile swim. I was like, the more, the quicker I can be ready to swim the longer distances outside, the less I have to do in the pool. And okay. so, um, you know, little by little, I increased distances and times and, you know, I could swim a lot sooner in the cold water that summer, uh, that spring, I guess, than I had done the year before when I was all covered in head to toe with uh, neoprene. Yeah. Um, and, and it allowed me to get out sooner to do those long distance swims. And so then I said, all right, well, my first winter, I swam all covered. My second winter, I just did gloves and booties and a cap. I was like, let's see like how far I can go without the gloves and booties in the cap. And, you know, and to be quite honest, because I always like to keep things real. There's, there's two reasons that I ditched my wetsuit. Well, there's three leaves. There's the reason I just said, because I wanted to acclimate, but um, 
one, my wetsuit was starting to not fit me. So I was like, I wasn't buying a new one. And two, mm -hmm. I was just getting annoyed with the wetsuit. It's like, it's a lot of effort. I mean, I love my tri slide and, you know, I know all the tricks to get it on and off, but it's so much easier to swim without a wet. It's so much more comfortable to swim without a wetsuit. I um, agree with you 100%. <laughs> yes. It is a pain in the ass to put wetsuits on. Yeah. That's for sure. And yeah. I actually never see the speed benefit for some reason. I am. Yeah. I'm that freak that swims better without one. Yeah, that's yeah. good. So, okay. Okay. Yes, that's okay. That those three yeah. reasons make perfect sense yeah. to me. Perfect <laughs> sense. Yes. All so right. then, so then after the 10 mile swim, we come to this I was like, all right, well, what are we going to do next? Let's see. And some of those open water swimmers in Boston, including my friend Kelly, who I mentioned earlier, they are huge into the cold water ice swimming. Um, they're like, oh, you got to come up and swim in uh swim the 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 winter swim at memphis magog and uh throughout the winter i was swimming with a friend of mine and one time we went swimming in the snow which was like that was the craziest thing ever it's like we're swimming in the snow like this is Ugh. outstanding like not like the videos you see on tv where it snows and people jump in the snow in their bathing suit we were swimming in the ocean while it was snowing and it was just so beautiful um and you know my my friends had had gone, had just come back from the the winter swim. And he says, oh, you would love it. I was like, all right. I was like, let's go. Oh <laughs> let's, my gosh. Let's, let's okay. So, I have two questions though. I have two yeah. questions. Like, so one uh, is, and we'll get to this winter fest swimming festival. Yeah. And it, some of these questions may apply to this portion too, but like when you are first starting to to jump in this cold water without any protection with just your suit and goggles and cap. Um, are you one of those like jump in or ease in kind of people and what's, and what's recommended, uh, you know, in order to avoid panic or yeah. God forbid something worse. Uh, and then number two is anecdotally, I don't know. I don't care what science says. Okay. How does that make you feel as a human? Like it, like the rush that you get from a cold water plunge. So those are my two questions. Okay. So number one is the, the key is to kind of swim down the temperature, right? So there are people who jump right into cold water and have never, you know, never swam before. They're like, wow, that cold water swimming looks fun. Let me just go jump in and jump in the water. That's awesome. It helps um, to, you know, if you're swimming in the summer and you swim every day, you swim as it gets into the fall and then into the winter, winter, the water gets a little colder and a little colder. So over time, your body is acclimating to the change in temperature. Some people meet their threshold and they're like, I'm done. <laughs> um, others of us continue um, for that post swim feeling, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, but when you get in the water, you know, there, there's, there are two schools and it really is personal preference. Um, I used to be the person who like waded in, took my time, got used to it, say how it feels and then go in. And I watched a friend of mine, who, the one who came back from the winter swim and he would always just go right in. And I was like, Hmm, I wonder if there's really a difference. Mm. And so, you know, you know, this is a 
try it, see what happens. I was like, well, let's see if there's a difference. So when I was like, all right, I'm just going to go in. I mean, I didn't run right in and dive, but you know, it was like walk in and just go right in into my shoulders, you know, get that initial, initial submersion. And I was like, all right, it really wasn't, it, it wasn't any worse. I was like, in my opinion, personally, I think like taking your time to walk in makes it worse. She's like, just go right in. It's not going to be any warmer by the time you get there. Yes. Yes. It's so, that anticipatory stress yeah. that it, that's the buildup. Yeah. I mean, I like, I am the person that will sit on the side of an 80 degree pool and <laughs> dip my feet in before I actually like yeah. get in, into my waist. Yeah. Whereas at master swim, I see all like the real quote unquote real swimmers. They just dive right in. I'm like, Oh, but I can't yeah. do it. So yeah. I did not know if there was any, you know, either etiquette or actual real uh, safety advice on that, like which one is preferable, especially when you're dealing with temperatures that are in the 30s and 40s Fahrenheit. The the etiquette is you are in charge of you first and foremost, and you have to do what you are most comfortable with. Um, That is also the safety, you know, but the safety is to, you know, to have someone with you who knows your plan, um, who respects, you know, like I swim a lot with other experienced cold water swimmers. So we know each other. We know how, what, what our plans are and, you know, what to do and what to look for. Okay. You can also just have someone on the, on the shore. If you don't have someone who wants to go in the water with you and you say, well, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. And they're watching out for you. Sure. Okay. Okay. Um, now, but it, it, there's so much personal preference to how it all plays out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, in training for the cold winter swim, the, the winter festival, I said, well, gee, I'm not going to have a lot of time to dilly dally and get in the water. So this past winter, my goal was to get in as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Every time I went in was to get in as quickly as possible. That that was my training because the, you walk up and they say, take your clothes off, get in the water. So you can't you know, take your time and say, let me just put a toe in and let me wait for my legs to feel this way. You just, you just got to go. So that was, that was my training. Okay. 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 So the, the post, the post swim, the post swim is uh, that's, that's an inexplicable feeling. Um, it, it's something about convincing your mind to get your body to do something that maybe logically doesn't sound wise. Right. And you get out of the like you, you you use every mental capacity that you have to get yourself the concentration, you're hyper focused. It's like like you said earlier, it's you know, it might be five, you know, ten, I think like depending if the water's around like 40, I can stay in for like 15 minutes. That's a long swim. You know, but it's a short period of time and you are hyper focused on everything you're doing, your body, your breathing, every single bit. And it's just like such an intense inward concentration. And when you get out, you're just like, it's like I, I rule the world. Like, you know, just like you just conquered something so incredible, you know, like, and I swim a lot in the ocean, you know, so it's, you never know what the ocean's going to do. And in the winter, there's often waves and you're just like, you, you it was you in the ocean. It's so hard to put words to, but it's just this feeling. It's just like, I freaking did that. And you, and every time you do it, it's, 
it, it you'd think like it becomes less, yeah, well, I did it once. I get no, every time you step in that water, like, oh my gosh, this water is cold. Sometimes <laughs> oh, like, so just like, why are we doing this? And you get out and you're like, this is why. It's just it's this state of accomplishment every single time. It's you against you in that cold water. And you know, it's like Sometimes you last for five minutes or seven minutes or, you know, your hands are cold first or your feet are, there's so many different variables. It's windy, it's snowy, it's rainy, it's, you know, sunny, you know, you've got to walk a hundred yards to the beach because it's low tide or, you know, you jump right in because it's high tide. There's so many different factors and you have to like process them all at once. And like for those, whatever minutes that you're there, that's, that's, all that exists it's just that one moment of time that's all about you oh adina that sounds so amazing <laughs> that, that sounds so that, amazing almost making me want to do uh, it <laughs> <laughs> until man. i saw your footage from the winter swim festival. so so the so the men from magog yeah Lake. Okay. Yeah. It's a lake in Newport, Vermont. Correct. Uh, and they had a winter, they have a, an annual winter swim festival. Right. And again, I will post photos of this, like on yeah. the web, on the webpage and in the show notes that accompany this. Yeah. Because it is a like, okay, this is to my eyes. You can tell me, you could actually describe it differently. Like, so from, from just your social media, it is a frozen over lake, like exactly what you would picture in yeah you know, the no Northeastern United States. Um, it, like I'm just picturing ice fishing. There's gotta be some igloos on this lake somewhere where people are or like huts where people are just ice fishing. But, but somebody has carved out a two lane ish, uh, 25 meter, right? 25 meter pool. Yep. And <laughs> And it's just, you're just surrounded by ice and yeah. snow. But what's so cool is that, you know, they've, they've uh, erected like flags, oh, presumably from every yeah. state or country that is representing Correct. people that are swimming in this competition. Yeah. And I can almost hear like an Olympic ish theme song as all of the athletes march out to what what in normal pools would be the pool deck right but here it's just basically the ice deck surrounding exactly. it and there are multiple events all weekend long yeah you nailed it exactly oh it. well you did you nailed it because this is i'm only taking this from what yeah. i was taking in from from yeah. your social media so talk to me about this event from your perspective and the the different events that you took part in um and and how many people participate in this so i mean i'm thinking like four five six oh yeah there's like yeah. i think i think the final number is like around 150 175 oh something God. like that and there yeah. were a bunch of people who canceled for different reasons uh you know kind of at the last minute um but they they offer 25 50, 100, and 200 meter distances. Most of the distances are 25s. Uh, there, and then there's a 50 free, 100 free, and a 200 free. There is the hat competition, which is super, super fun. Um, I am not a dresser upper, so I enjoyed watching all the hats and taking lots of pictures. They were out, like 
the creativity and the, it was just so much fun. Some of the the hats that people came up with, um, and um, and yeah, and then the the 25s. There's a freestyle breaststroke and butterfly. Um, no backstroke in the pool for safety reasons, so you can see where you're going. Okay. Um, okay. Because they do, do they erect the flags above? So like uh, the flags are actually behind the pool, so there's it. no there's yeah there's nothing above it. Um, the safety precautions they have in place. I mean, they've got timers and they've got starters. They have um, strippers who are in charge of helping you take your clothes off, but more importantly, put your clothes on mm -hmm. after you swam. Mm -hmm. So you dump your stuff in a in a laundry basket, and if it's a twenty five, then they'll carry that basket down to the other side for you, so your clothes and towel are there right when you get out. Yep. Um, there are hookers who have like tall pool hooks. You, you may have seen like in pools, they have these tall, they just like have a hook on the top. I think there might be a picture of one on my, on my social as well, but I can share one. Um, and in case somebody needs to, um, needs to be saved, um, if there's, if there's an issue, then they can kind of, you know, hook the people up with that and attached to the hooker is the pimp. Who is like a rope tied between the hooker and this other person just to give them like some stability if, you know, if need be. I love the, I mean, I wasn't going to call attention to the innuendos, but I have a feeling they're aptly named on purpose. <laughs> strippers, hookers, pimps. I mean, come on. This, now I kind of want to do this. Yeah. We, we, we all have a slight bit of craziness to us. Yes. yes. Uh, there's a reason I really like these people. They're just a little wackadoodle as I am. Uh, um, but it's just it's just a great time. It's just a bunch of people out having fun, trying something. People come back every year and do these races. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we there's a restaurant right near the, the ice pool um, and we just all hang out in the restaurant all day. It was very cold this weekend um, that we were there. So most people stayed inside for the majority of the time. And then you would just walk out to your event, you do your event, and then there was a warming area where um, there were people there with warm water buckets for your feet and um, hot um, hot rice, like in a sock that you could put around your head, uh, your neck or your hands to help warm up. Um, what, was just, the, uh, what was the water temp? Um, 30.5 Fahrenheit, which is like negative five Celsius. So for me, that was actually like I was I was nervous about that because the water never got really cold this year in Boston. The, the lowest temperature that I was in was about 38. So to drop from 38 to 30 was making me a little nervous. You know, as we you know, like I said before, like if you go down like little by little by little, yeah, you know, like you drop under 40, you're like, wow, that's cold. You know, and then you're like, you're going to go from 38 to 35 to 33. And we never really got to, you know, drop down a little bit more. So I was starting to get a little nervous about the the cold temperature and just keep telling myself, like, it's 30 seconds. Like, I mean, 25 meters is 30 seconds of your life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it takes more than 30 seconds to even, like, get in the water here, you know, <laughs> or, to, like, you know, it's, it usually is, like, a minute or two before I, like, find my, like, groove when I'm in the cold water. So I was like... 30 seconds is like not even going to be a thing. And that that's actually what ended up happening. The first 25 I did as 30 seconds. And I was just like, I almost didn't enjoy it. It was, it was too short. Oh, was too okay. Short. 
Okay. Um, um, I, I, I broke my own rule. I did not think about any of the things that I normally do. And I jumped in like I was at the Y um, and I was too excited. I was like, oh my gosh, like, ah, you know, <laughs> total rookie move. It's like got caught up in the hype. Um, so I did kind of like lost my breath a little bit as I was swimming freestyle and took a few breaststrokes. But then when I got out, I didn't have that like feeling of, oh my gosh, like, look what I just did. It was so fast. Like you, you didn't have time to feel it. I wasn't cold. It was, it was, it was, it it was missing something, Um, you know, and I was trying to keep my disappointment to myself because there were a lot of people there who were like so excited to be in that water for the first time. And that's awesome. I'm not one to bring someone else down. Um, but I knew like for me, I also like to keep things real. Like I knew for me, like that wasn't the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did find one or two people who I, who I could talk to about it. So that way I could just help myself process it. And that's how I realized like, why I went a little in a little too fast. And, um, I, but I still had these other events that I wanted to do, you know, like, all right, the 50 free, this is going to be great. It's a little longer. I wanted to do the butterflies. Like that's tricky because you can't choose to keep your head out of the water when you're swimming butterfly. So then I had some things to think about and work on, which I like. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting back in for the 50 free was nice. Like by the time I, you know, was by the time I was eh, maybe three quarters of the way through, I was like, oh, okay, now we're swimming. Like, this is good. Um, but I still wasn't like super cold, but it, 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 you could at least start to feel the cold by that time. So yeah. Like, Cause the more these. Were these races? So like I said, you know, you would get in with somebody else. And so I don't, I don't know if they were qualified as actual races where you advanced to like semifinals oh, and then yeah. a final or anything like that. They they took times, but there were no like heats and, and advancing. It. it was just, just by time. Um, and some people were racing. I was not there to race. I was there for the experience. Sure. Um, and there, I'd say there's, you know, like half and half, some people there for the experience, some people there for the race. Um, yeah. How, and how many events did you participate in this year? Uh, so I signed up for five. I did the 25 free, 25 breast, 50 free, 25 fly and a relay. Okay. And okay. the relay, if you're all newbies, then you can be in the virgin relay. Of course. Yes, of course. Um, with all the hookers and the pimps yeah, and the exactly. Yes. So, so I did see on your social where you said next year you're looking forward to doing the hundred. Is that and the two hundred. And the two hundred. Is that because you you want to kind of capture that feeling yeah. and you just like that the twenty five and fifties just like it just wasn't long enough for you? Unfinished business. Ah, love it. I almost oh. I, I almost tried to get in the hundred. Um they they do sometimes allow people to add on events. You know, people were canceling, people didn't come. Um, but the hundred was the last day in between after the fly and before the relay. And I said, well, that's three events in a short amount of time. And and cold water coldness is cumulative. So I said, well, I don't know how cold I would be after the hundred. I would never want to let my teammates down on the relay. Um, I I had all confidence that I can swim the hundred. Um, but it, it was, it wasn't worth, it wasn't worth, um, you know, jeopardizing being available for, for my team. I made a commitment to the team to be with them. Um, and I knew I wanted to do the two, try the 200 as well. So, so I'll go back next year. I'll do, I'll do the hundred and the 200 and, 
And and the fly again, because if you can swim 25 fly in a frozen lake, like you just had. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, if, if you can swim 25 fly in a hot tub, like, yeah. do it. But yeah. like, because the fly is such a, you know, that's just, that's yeah. the stroke that people look at and go, how do you do that? Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. Um, thank you for sharing that experience with me. It's like, oh, like that God. was when, you know, you, I've, I've, you and I have been communicating for a few months where I was like, I want to get you on. I want to get you on because I love your soul and your personality. But, but watching that swim festival unfold, yeah. uh, almost in real time, it was the clincher for me because that really, for me, fell into the, I could never do that category and hearing, just hearing you talk through it and like just this positive attitude and even this like that yeah, wasn't long enough I want to do yeah. more and like like that that epitomizes it and I want to I want to sort of put the bow on all of this conversation by coming back to you as a coach and this this team be real which is this which is your team name yeah. your company's name is real fitness but right. your team is be real and you've said that a few times during this yeah. interview where you said, I just want to be real. So yeah. what does that mean to you in being real? And why did you choose that for your team name? Well, um, I, I, that's the only way I know how to be um, is, is to, you know, keep it real, tell it like it is. Um, you know, we, we live in a world where, you know, everyone says, oh, you know, Instagram's the highlight reel and Facebook, you know, social media is blah, blah. You know, people are so down on it. I personally don't see that because those are not the people I surround myself with. Um, but for me, being real, it's about, it's about being who you are. Um, and when I was a little kid, I, you know, a little kid, teenager in high school, you know, I was the short, fat, smart kid in the band. And um, none of those things were, were people that, you know, they were not the popular people. I was not a popular kid. And I learned at a young age that you just, you have to be who you are and be proud of who you are. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily always come easy. Um, and, you know, the, the underdog is, is a tough place to be at, you know, when it's, when everybody else is popular and they're like, oh, you're a band geek. I'm like, yeah, but I like the band. So, okay. Um, that's, it's, it's kind of a tough place to be, but you know, the underdog is freaking awesome and we can do anything we want to do. We set our minds out to do that's in our heart to do. And, um, you know, I, I may not be fast, I may not be skinny, I may not be tall, you know, but I, I'm me and I'm out there and like I can swim 10 miles and I don't know a lot of people who can say that. I completed an Ironman. You know, I, I like that wow factor. Like I, that, that's part of me. Um, and, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I like to say, well, look at what I did. I don't think that's bragging. I'm proud of myself. That's the real me. Like. I don't think you should censor yourself because other people think you're bragging or whatever their opinions are. That's their opinions. That's their problem. Um, and I just wanted other people like me to have a place to, to, to be the same way. Like, I know I'm not the only person who feels that way. I might be one of the only ones who's going to say it because I don't care. Like I'll talk to anybody and I'll say what I feel. Um, and that's, you know, that's some people just need permission to be like, all right, yeah, I'm going to go hang out with them and I'm going to say how I feel and I'm going to do what I want to do. And 
who cares if, you know, I'm old or slow or have a disability or am in the LGBTQ community. I'm like, we have all those things on my team and nobody is judged for any of it. Mm. Nobody is judged for any of it. Like the only thing I'm going to judge is if you show up with a bad attitude and say bad things or negative things about your teammates or yourself. Like, I don't have time for that. I understand that we all have hard times and there are times where like, I'm like, I was crying this morning over something like, that's okay. Like we all have hard feelings and we all work through them. You know, I had a rough workout yesterday. I'm not going to tell you every workout is the best workout, but I'm not going to say, Oh my gosh, I'm an awful athlete. Cause I had a bad workout. No, I had a rough workout. This is what happened. It's a fact. This is what I can learn from it. Moving on to the next thing, you know, and that's what it's all about. And, um, you know, so the real actually stands for a realistic, empowered, attainable lifestyle. So that's, that's what that means for you. It's realistic to you, who you are, and you empower yourself. And sometimes, you know, throughout the team, sometimes we need our teammates to help us feel empowered as well, to do whatever it is that we want to do. Not more than what we want to do and not less than what we want to do, but what we want to do. And, you know, it's attainable. Like you can do it. If you put your mind to it and you have the right resources and you have the right support network, you can do it. Um, And it becomes a lifestyle. It's however you want to live your life. And the B is for badass because, you know, we're all (laughs) Why not? (laughs) <laughs> that was the best mic drop I've ever heard in my entire life. And are you uh, always accepting new athletes? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and that's a great thing. I've, I've heard, I've had athletes come to the team and say, oh, well, I didn't make this team or I don't do Ironman. So they didn't want me on this team or I'm only a runner. So they didn't want me on that team. There's none of that. (laughs) There's none of that. I mean, it started as a triathlon team. We have a lot of triathletes on the team. Um, But, uh, you know, we've got a few people who are predominantly swimmers, predominantly cyclists, predominantly runners. Um, You know, it's it's about finding whatever it is that you want to do um, and um, and doing that, you know, and, you know, I I share. Uh, training tips every week, every month we have a motivational meeting where we have guests come in and share different kinds of expertise. Um, And uh, right now we're planning our first team uh, retreat and race. We're all thanks to Ironman who put an event on my birthday. I decided decided to organize a, you know, a retreat around that. So we're all going to go hang out and get some uh, relays together. What race? What race? um, It's the Ironman in uh, New York at Jones Beach. Oh, yeah. Long Island. Yep, in Long Island. Yeah. Excellent. That sounds like fun. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I, you know, it's people decide at different times that they want to start something. So it's like, oh, well, you know, and I have a lot of newer triathletes and newer athletes in general. It's like, well, I didn't know I wanted to do it in February, but I want to do it now. Can I join? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> it's just because mm-hmm. yes, you can. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, everybody mm-hmm. deserves to to feel like part of a team. Um, there, we don't we don't cut people because you're not fast enough or you know didn't re- reach a podium. Oh, that's the worst. Oh, that is that's terrible. Yeah. yeah, there's no podium shaming around here. There's no oh, you only did a sprint. Only does not exist on. I, I, 
you can anyone on the team if you ever meet there's like if Adina says that one more time, it's like, I was like, there are no onlys or I just did this or this is good for me. No, this is what I did. It was a good time, period. Thank you so much for all of your precious time and um, just your attitude. I know I'm entering into my afternoon on a much higher level of being, having spoken to you for the last hour and 20 minutes. And I mean it when I say like, you are such a wonderful, positive force in this world. Knew it from the moment I met you <laughs> and I continue to be inspired and motivated by you because after all, you are a fitness motivator. Yeah. So where can people reach out to you? Um, uh, so my website is adinaoneal.com, uh, two L's like the surfing company mm -hmm. in O'Neill. Um, I'm on Instagram. It's Adina O'Neill Real Fitness, um, Facebook. Um, you can send me an email at hello at adinaoneal.com. Uh, come find me at a race. Um, I always look like this. Like I don't have hair up, hair down. I don't wear makeup. So I'm very easy to find. Come say hi. Um, uh, I usually have a be real. I usually have a be real visor on. So I may look like this. There you go. That's <laughs> one. Yes. That's what I'm used to seeing. <laughs> I may look like this. Um, but uh, yeah, no. And, and uh, you know, I, I forget people's names all the time, but uh, uh, you know, that that's real life, but come say hi, uh, come say hi. I'd love to talk to you anytime. And, uh, and a huge thanks, Carrie, to having me on. It was great to chat with you and, and share the story. And, uh, you know, hopefully someone will listen and be like, yeah, you know what? Like I can do that. To learn more about Adina, you can visit her website at adinaoneil.com. That is A-D-I-N-A-O-N-E-I-L-L.com. Of course, I will put a link to that in the show notes, as well as her Instagram handles. Thanks so much for listening and supporting independent podcasts like this one. If you'd like to share a little support, you can donate any amount through the Buy Me A Coffee link which I will also provide in the show notes. Until next week, stay warm. Even if you get in the pool, make sure you get in that hot tub or sauna right after, especially after today's show. Have a great week and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening.